Hey everyone, welcome back to the Gary V Audio Experience. Today's episode is from the unconscious keynote that Gary did surrounding the idea of capturing the consumer's attention in seven seconds or less. We hope you enjoy. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Um, so tell me, what is a seven second story and why do we need one? Um, Arno, do you want to kick us off? So let, let's start. Um, Actually, the, the reason why we need a seven story, second story is rooted in our biology. It's rooted in our, how our brain works. How many of you have, have made a decision to choose a book or a CD just because of the cover? How many of you make a first impression about someone in a few seconds? Uh, how many of you make a purchase decision in store in three to seven seconds? So in reality, we, we process information very fast. Why? Because most of the decisions we are making are unconscious. So it has been proven even by, by Harvard, by the way, that 95% of our purchase decisions are subconscious. Uh, one of the reasons why is because the conscious part of our brain is quite slow and consume a lot of energy. So it takes time for the conscious part of the brain to make decisions. The, the second part is a brain work as, as a natural born cartographer. So we put things into boxes and as, as we put things into boxes and recognize things, we, it fast track the decision process. So very often we deselect before selecting and the brain works like that. So what, what is at the end of a seven second story is, is actually uh, the impression as a brand we want to leave with consumers about what is your brand, what is your product, but just in a few seconds. So usually appeals to the unconscious, it triggers emotions and, and make us feel good. Actually, when we do that, we, we trigger dopamine, okay? So, which is a neurotransmitter, which is secreted by, by the brain, which boosts brain activity and happiness and, and ultimately trigger action. So when we manage to reach to this level to make the brain move to the unconscious mode, trigger emotions, secrete dopamine, actually we trigger positive actions. The brands that are able to do that are dramatically changing their ability to influence shoppers. And remember, when we think about the store, usually around 70% of final decisions are made in store. Okay. So a good brand story at the end, if they manage to do that, drive trial and loyalty. So I stop here because Probably others have more to say than me, and you have more to develop later. Thanks, Arno. Um, Matthew, um, what's for you a seven-second story? I know in movies it's not seven seconds, right? <laughs> but um... well, first off, I was I was going to say everything you just said. You're speaking my language, so right. you know. Uh, the The human attention span is only about seven seconds. Right. So I know when I'm going in to make a pitch for a film, whether I'm pitching it at, at Netflix or Amazon to a group, a committee, or if I'm just sharing a story with a, a friend or family member, I know I only have seven seconds before they start checking out. You know, we've talked about this in entertainment forever. We usually call it the elevator pitch. If you stepped into an elevator, with your favorite director or producer, and before they got off the elevator, could you pitch them 
your great idea. Now, I've, I've been doing, this is, this is what my career has been all about. And what I always do is I always think about all those things you talked about, about releasing dopamine and people make decisions based on story and not necessarily the content. All that is so true. And then what I'm always thinking about is in that seven second pitch, what is the hook I want to use? And there's really four hooks I end up using. I keep going back again and again to either uh, a seven second pitch that presents something unusual, something that takes you out of the ordinary world and shares with you how something could be extraordinary or something unexpected like shock value or something that lands you in an action or conflict. These are the four things for every Pixar seven second pitch they've always fallen in one of those four categories. So um, The Incredibles, that is an unusual seven second pitch. What if superheroes were banned from saving people? That's the hook. And people go, wait, superheroes save people. Why would they be banned? And then you got them, right? And if you can show that on a billboard or a poster or in that seven second beginning of a movie trailer, You've got them hooked. Um, I could go on forever about this, but I'm going to just stop there. Yes, seven <laughs> second. You're speaking my language. <laughs> Great, thanks. And and you, you talked about you know the attention spam, and, and Gary, you speak a lot about the attention economy, right? Um, so, what for you? What's that seven second story? For me, just because obviously the two gentlemen before me have articulated it, I want to get it to as many topics as possible. So I would just say this. All of it was true, it's always been true, and now the distribution realities are built towards it, right? So Matthew having this incredible career, always right, but a lot of those outputs were 30, 20, you know, 24 minute episodes, two hour things, but you needed that first seven seconds. Now the entire game is seven seconds. You know, TikToks that can build, you know, Ocean Spray's greatest ad in its history was, <laughs> done and everyone you know, obviously knows where I'm going by a gentleman, the ad is a seven second ad, the whole thing. And that is the, like, this is important because I think especially for marketers and like big business, successful people watching us, right? Like it is the single most effective driver of sales of that cranberry juice in the history of the company. Not Ogilvy, not Don Draper, not me, not, right? That, and that entire output was seven seconds. Forget about the hook needing to give you the permission to then let people consume for two hours. So I would just add that not only has this always been true, but now we live in a world where the actual container contains the entire thing within that framework, which is a whole different brain twist you know, and you're also talking to somebody who believes that six hour movies should exist. And I've said it for a long time. And, you know, that's what Queen's Gambit really was, right? I mean, we're now, we're about to live in a very interesting world where I think people are very confused and they think there's rules. The rules is make good stuff. And when Queen's Gambit's that good, I will sit and watch it for seven hours. I used to always say if Star Wars 20 was 11 hours long, I'd go. I'd get in there at 9 a.m. and I'd leave at 8 because I wanted to see the story and if it was good. Or if a vine, back to six seconds, wasn't good, I'm out in two seconds. 
Everybody here is out in two seconds. Forget about seven seconds. So I would just say those dynamics and then the containers themselves are now seven seconds or 30 seconds as well. And that's a whole different reality in the internet world. You know, Gary, I, I'm, I've got to say something. I won't, I won't geek out. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to stories, we all used to sit around a fire and tell stories, right? And it would be, we go out, kill some animal, <laughs> consume it around the fire, and it would be a, a story that would continue to go night after night. The only reason we ended up coming up with this, you know, 90-minute, roughly 90-minute format for movies is because that was the... Uh, that was only how big your bladder was that could hold pee before you had to use the bathroom. Seriously. So when By we're- By the way, Matt, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Now I know why I'm willing to do 11 hour movies. I am amazing at not peeing. I have an incredible <laughs> bladder. You know, I, it's strengthening our bladders. Uh, so, <laughs> but, but that's why we're all, we love watching things like, you know, the Queen's Gambit because it, it goes back to how we used to tell stories. They weren't just contained 90 minutes or 30 minutes. They were ongoing. And, and Matt, uh, you know this, and this is important, everyone. I believe the reason that a lot of commercials are terrible is the agency and the brand is forced to tell the story in that 30 second container this is what, you know, why I love social long form video. I know for fact, I don't care what Facebook and YouTube tell me. I know that a great one minute, 39 second video sells more product. They tell brands that make it shorter because they want the brand recall in the, for a report that mm -hmm. the industry runs on from a proctor way or not, right? You know this, but that's not true in real consumer. Same Matt, I'm so happy for Hollywood storytellers. I feel like a lot of movies over the last 30 years that could have been remarkable missed because it was really a three hour, 19 second, 19 minute movie that was forced by studio, the current state of the union of movies to confine itself into 90 minutes, which was then rushed, not complete and awkward. And yeah. now that we have streaming, that three hour, 19 minute story is gonna be told in a six part mini series pretty remarkable times for storytellers where the yeah. containers and limitations of distribution because of the way the internet works have been eliminated. Yeah. So then how do you piggybacking up on that? Um, if today's distribution, right, forces us to be in seven seconds and, and I know we're saying, you know, we need to, we make an impressions anyways, no matter what we do in seven seconds, right? In store, we make an impression, our product makes an impression in seven seconds. How do you then make a strong story that is, that you can tell in seven seconds? Uh, I don't want to be the one that keeps chiming in. So I'll wait. <laughs> well, uh, you know, you know for, to me, oh, I'm sorry, Matt. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Gary, you go first. I'll go quick on this one. Okay. I think truth, you know, I've thought a lot about why my shit works in a world where I'm willing to say shit in a corporate video, right? It's because it's just my truth. I don't have anything else. I, my, my mom parented me in a way that gave me enough self-esteem to feel comfortable with the ramifications of my truth. I've always been an entrepreneur, so there is no, you know, I have a lot of empathy for people that have jobs, right? You, you do have somebody making subjective opinions on your life. For me, the market is making that decision. And, and I would tell you the truth. I think the truth is a stunning way to achieve what you just said. It, the, the other amazing thing about the truth is 
it allows you to go to direct candor, which just speeds up the dance. The truth that I think when you look at, um, you know, I've, I've already referenced it, I'll just final thought. I never understood why I was so entranced by Star Wars. I'm not really a sci-fi guy. As I got older and be, started getting more into my emotional intelligence and my feelings and perspective, the story is just incredibly true. The, 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 the evergreen story of good versus bad and the fine line and the fact that good wins. This is why we're still here, just to remind everybody. You know, you take that story, you could talk about what's going on in the political landscape and nationalism around the world, right? We're in this pressure cooker and the fine line is very thin. But, you know, and so I think the truth is a big factor. You know, I, I agree. Authenticity, truth, finding a story that's important to you. I think the other thing that I need to have in that seven second pitch, because I have made, I have pitched many movies. Some of them I, I after I, I was so passionate about them, but they just didn't interest people or others. People were just like, I get it. And you know what? I think the big thing I'm looking for in that seven second pitch is I'm looking for what I call mental real estate. Do people, are people familiar with the topic so I don't have to explain it to them? I only have seven seconds. So if I say, what if superheroes were banned from saving people? I already know I have the mental real estate of mm. everybody knows superheroes save people. Mm. I don't have to explain it. Or what if a rat wanted to be a French chef? Everybody already knows rats don't cook. They, 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 they live in sewers. So one of the things I have found works really well is find something that people are familiar with and then put a twist on it. And put a twist on it by making it unusual, like that Incredibles pitch, or unexpected, like that Ratatouille pitch. And or landing people in an action or conflict. But I have found that that is the gold when it comes to storytelling. Find something that people are familiar with, but put it in a different light that that is is enticing and makes them go. So then what how did the rat become the French chef or why did the superheroes get banned? And then I know I've got them. They'll listen to me then for a couple more minutes until I get into the point of how this story will change their life, you know? But that's what I'm looking for. And if I make the connection with a, with a brand and how, how to tell a story with a story with a brand, I think it's very close to, um, I think like completely relate to what you're saying. The first thing that a brand needs to do is to be true to itself. Don't try to tell a story which is not you. And it's not very easy sometimes for the brand to really understand what, what, what is the essence of the brand? What is the truth? Okay. But it's a first probably fundamental thing. The second part is, is completely, I think, connected to what you're saying, Matthew, is connect to something people can relate to and, and which is a human motives. And that can be rooted in the bio biology. And there are many research around that, but, uh, but, but there is, for example, the wheel of motive existing that tells us that there are 12 fundamental motives that are driving us whatever race, place, where we live, time, etc., And those motives, to quote a few of them, are around caring, caring for people, being explorer, uh, wanting to grow, wanting to feel safe, to transform. 
if a brand starts to connect with one of those motives and 12 or whatever, I think you start to speak a language which is rooted to everyone, everyone. Everybody will understand that. And the third part is, is a plot. The story is how you bring that to life. And, and the way you, you do it uh, will create the connection to the emotion. And I think to your point, you can create tension in many ways, but at a point you, you, you need to have some consistency between the cues you're using and the message you want to deliver. Mm -hmm. That's quite fundamental. If I think about some brands and I thought about a few ones, let's think about Jeep. I think Jeep is, I think the, the, the message from the brand, they want to feel free, make us feel free. The motive uh, that, that it supports it is an explore motive. Okay, so we want to be explorer and it's a tool to explore. But the way they bring it to life is, is sometimes creating a tension between daily life where we live and, and this motive to explore, showing sometimes people are looking at pictures about uh, um, wildlife, okay, bringing it to life with colors like blue or green that are close to nature or using words like freedom. So I think it's very important for a brand to think about that and it's completely connected to what you're saying. But very often when you're uh, working on a brand and in a, I think in marketing, you, you, you tend to lose that. We have a lot of pressure around us, pressure to, for hyper-segmentation, to create new. Sometimes we have a lot of pressure, you're measure on you, okay? Or pressure on profit or on occupy the shelf. And when you start to do that, you, you might lose what is your essence, what you want to stand for. You lose focus. And, and at the end, you confuse, might take the, take the risk to confuse, confuse consumers, lose meaning, and at the end, lose consumers. So I think back to the, the, the discussion, I think having a clear message, authenticity, which is what is a brand, would lead to something that can, people can connect to, which are connected to human motives, and bringing it in the way which is consistent and creating this tension that drives the emotion, I think is so critical. You know, for... Coming from a, a person that's owned four Jeeps in a row, um, <laughs> I uh, would say that, yes, you know, my uh, I talk about this when I do my uh, presentations that the the thing that enticed me to buy my Jeep was because of the uh, the images of people climbing mountains and crashing through rivers and and that dealer, uh, the, the car dealer you know, when I came in that first day and asking me, do I own a Jeep? And I said, no. And he said, oh, I own a Jeep. And he said, you know, I go off-roading every weekend. I put in a, a CD of my favorite Indiana Jones music, and I feel like I'm on an adventure. I didn't care if it was, you know, the number one rollover vehicle in America or the worst gas mileage. I was <laughs> like, I want that thing. And I'm, yeah, I'm four Jeeps in. <laughs> and, you know, you were also absolutely right about the theme. And, you know, after I come up with the hook for uh, any kind of length story, um, the next thing I always think about is the theme. I always think about how do I want people to feel at the end? Uh, you know, Gary, you talked about your connection with Star Wars. I figure we're around the same age because... Yeah, when I, you know, 1977, seeing Star Wars, I was so moved at the end when I went to see that film with my dad. But you know what? You know that feeling you get when you leave a film or you're done watching a TV show or reading a book 
that feeling you're left with at the end, that feeling is the theme. What was the theme of the story? How did it make you feel? And, you know, what we call them is universal themes. Mm -hmm. Those universal themes that hold us all together as people, like we all desire love. It's universal. If anybody doesn't desire love, please let me know. But desiring love and safety and freedom to be adventurous. When you look at all those Pixar films, we purposely have a theme in every one of them. Like Wally, great sci-fi film, you know, don't destroy our planet. But in the essence, it's all about the last robot on earth that wants to fall in love. The movie Brave is about this, this girl who doesn't want to be the queen. She wants to have the freedom to choose her own fate. Or Finding Nemo about, you know, about a dad who wants to keep his only child safe. We know as filmmakers that if you pick a theme that people can relate to, you can weave an interesting plot and characters and location and everything around it. But if you have the theme, people are going to be into it. And they're, and, and they're going to feel that theme when the story is over. So I know I sound overly passionate, but it's, yeah, this is, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, and, and the themes you mentioned, they, they, they connect with what Arno was talking about as the motives, right? They're, they're the same. It's universally Absolutely. what drives human behavior. So it's really rooted I, in the brain. And I, I bought that Jeep because I wanted to have that feeling of, I can be adventurous. You, you, you bought that Jeep, the same reason almost everybody buys everything. The amount of people that buy things on rational decisions is very low. Yeah. You know, it's very funny how, what our human relationship is with um, the practicality of what's really going on in the world, right? Like, you know, there's an ideology of how things are done and there's actual real life. And in that Delta is where I play and so much happiness, let alone success comes from that. It's why I actually believe that emotional intelligence, you know, it's, it's very crazy to be on this call right now. I'm sitting right next to Andy, who is my partner in crime in a project that we've done for the last two weeks called VFriends. I launched an NFT project that amassed $50 million in sales. The IP had never existed before. So the mil I sold $50 million worth of tokens with characters on them. And the characters are the representation of the human traits that I most believe in. And Matt, if we're similar in age, you might remember a book series called Sweet Pickles, alliteration mm. characters, which is what mine are. And it's just so amazing how life actually works, right? I literally texted Andy when this started. I said, Andy, you'll never believe who I'm on a panel with because we're going from the doodles that I drew because of the success of this, where we're getting hit up by every streaming, every toy company, everybody. And we now have to take the next step in creation. And I'm like, Andy, I'm with Matt. I need to, hit, I, Matt, I already text, I already hit you up on Instagram because okay. I'm like, Matt, I need your help to like, who should I hire? Can we team up? I've got to take these characters to a very different place than where they started. But what's interesting in what the story I'm telling right now is it is very, I'll give you an example. When Matt sure. was talking about seven, my, my V friends, 
What if soft skills, emotional skills, things that we considered soft were actually the true superpowers of the world? Because by the way, I know that to be true. I know to be true fact as the sharp elbows, aggressive empire building entrepreneur that I am, that the reason I'm winning is empathy, accountability, kindness. So for me, you can imagine in the seven second pitch and really what we're talking about here is it's always actually the gray. We have a whole world of people trying to win in business without realizing it's patience, kindness, empathy, compassion, sympathy, you know, all these things that nobody, you, you know, everything's business is business. And you, you know, it is, you know, all these hard things when I know that they're actually, it's patient panda that's winning for me. It's empathy elephant that's winning for me. And so for me, I'm about to build what I genuinely believe is a Pokemon, Hello Kitty, Harry Potter. And what I'm gonna teach kids and grownups is soft skills or hard skills. And that's really what we're talking about. It's the hidden, not the things that everyone's being taught. And so you know, you that, that's, that already, that's already interesting, I gotta say, uh, Gary, what you're talking about, so. Good, we'll talk. <laughs> yeah. And so how do you take those emotions, right? And those soft skills and translate that? How can a brand leverage that? How do you translate that into a brand? And Matthew, you did that, right? Toy Story, you anim animated a toy, right? So how can you give and, heart and Matt, to and Matt, I apologize. I want to answer this in a very business literal way. And oh, I sure. Take over. <laughs> the, the, the real thing there that I see every day with brands is there is zero compassion to the consumer. The nature of marketing is to disrupt people from what they actually want to do. Let's start just there. The level of empathy and compassion we have for consumers when all of our TV commercials and most of our digital marketing is to disrupt it's audacious. As yeah, if, well, I, I, if, I think yeah, we, I think we, I think we all know this. Um, and the, 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 uh, you know, when I think about even in the world of film, I think we, we know this that there is a lot of films out there that are just a ninety-minute commercial to sell things. And when Pixar or the Disney company made decisions like that in the past. Those were the films that were the least popular, that, that did not do as well because they lacked the heart and authenticity of just making a powerful story that moves people that you're passionate about. And if people love it, that's great, you know? And if they wanna have something to take away with them because they loved the film so much, then that's awesome. If they wanna buy a Buzz Lightyear, that's great, but but people are savvy and smart enough. Most people have watched Mad Men. They know how this works, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and so I'm always thinking about making something that I would want to see. And, and trust me, I, you know, I don't usually advertise this anywhere, <laughs> but um, I'm also, I, I own, I own a, a toy store with my dad. So I, I know, um, I love toys. I love buying toys. And that's why I, I'm doing this with my dad. So, but yeah, it's always, it always begins with making a story that, that you're passionate about. And then hopefully people will be passionate about. Because once you, you know? tell the story, you recall the emotion. Right. It's just feelings. It's mm -hmm. just feelings. It's, it like, it's, it's why 
It's why other things work too. Sound, smell, like, also, like it's, we've, um, I believe the industrial revolution and the growth of college propaganda created an era that all of us grew up in that went to black and white, that was accelerated and yeah. I think hit a tipping point in the last decade with data and math, right? What's been wild is I've been playing outside that framework the whole time with, comp- it's almost like the matrix. Like I, I, I don't, you know, it's so funny. I know it's nothing to do with me. It's complete circumstances of the luck of DNA, incredible parenting, wild circumstances of being born in a Soviet Union, but coming to America as a purebred entrepreneur. So you start really leaning into gratitude. But I think it's very important for everybody who's watching right now to know what we're talking about. We are in the pre-dawn, pre-dawn of the era going the reverse of everything that we just lived through for a hundred years. We rationalized for a century. Just look at it. All the thing, you know, all of our great, great, great grandparents believed in so many superstitions. Everything was on feel. Intuition was at the top. And what we've done is we've systematically over a hundred years demonized them as delusional. Yet it is very clear in my opinion that everything we put on a pedestal has been the things that have fought against that. So I think think, I am spending an incredible amount of energy on how to make intuition. Like when I drew intuitive iguana, I literally like tried very hard because I'm like, this character has a lot of work to do so that very smart people don't out-rationalize the value of intuition. Mm. And I think that's what you're starting to see. And I think so much of what is gonna play out with the decentralization of our society because of blockchain at scale, with internet at scale, we've literally taken, and Matt, this is probably music to your ears as a creative, it'll be interesting to see how you see this statement, but what is very clear to me is as as distribution starts to change, you just, it lends itself to the artist in a way that we've never seen before. And it's going to be very powerful. It really genuinely is. And you'll, listen, you'll go from a movie theater operator to Netflix. They'll always be curators that have leverage because they deserve it. They've done a good job. But the Mm -hmm. at-bats, and this is why brands, for example, need to be very thoughtful about this because so many of them on the consumer package good front, let's just talk about those, they're completely at the mercy of the distributor. They're completely at the mercy of Walmart or Tesco or Saintsbury or, or Amazon. And it's the people that can tell stories that makes people feel things that actually can decentralize the distributor because you've created the demand, not you're supplying the engine that has created the consumption. Yeah, you know, I, I gotta tell you, this has been, as a creator, it's been a very good time. You know, the more platforms and the more places to, to that are, uh, uh, inviting to be able to want to have more stories and more creative content for people like me this is a great time you know um and what i'm always thinking about like i'm directing and writing uh an animated film right now and the closest i can stay to the true vision of the project the better as soon as it starts to have to be worn down or worn away by 
having to do this because somebody says this is what we've always done before, (laughs) that's, that's when it starts to eat away at it. And I think that's why those Pixar films were so great. Those, those kind of like golden, golden age of those Pixar films is because we weren't in LA, we weren't in Hollywood. I don't know. I mean, most people know this maybe, but we were by San Francisco Mm-hmm. And we just said, forget the Hollywood rules. We're not going to play by them. The, the people who will make the choices about what the content will be for the stories will be the creative people, not the producers, not the financial people. And the reason why we were able to do that is because we had someone like Steve Jobs. The end. It said, I have the money. The end. I believe in creativity. And the end. Create. The end. And back to my earlier point played outside the system. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, as we all got to know Steve more through the years and the legend of the story, like you were truly talking about somebody who believed in alternative. I mean, look, one could argue, and this is devastating to say, this is why I always, there's a great Russian saying, which basically translates to everything is always at its best when it's in balance. One could argue that Steve, and and by the way, as somebody who plays outside the framework, Steve's health issues and his unbelievably unwavering beliefs in playing outside the system, one could argue maybe caused, and I, I'm not educated enough. No, I, I know. Right, and that kills me. And, and by the way, you, you learn from people ahead of you. I'm very outside the system. I'm very much a byproduct of my great grandmother who's like, never go to the doctor. This, this, this root in the forest will cure you. Like, like uh, you know, yeah. I do think there is balance needed, but let there be no confusion without his ability to say no over here, none of what Matt's talking about had a chance. And I think that will continue to be the case. It is the people who say yes and who lack fear, which is why corporations almost never succeed in this conversation. They by nature are run by incredible people. You know, listen, I have a lot of practicality in me. This is back to the balance. I'm an operator. You know, I've always operated my businesses. I'm not a visionary CEO creative. I've operated every business I've ever run. So I have a little bit of yin and yang going on. So I actually have incredible respect for operators, but I feel like most operators over-operate and operate for the sake of operating instead of having the combo we're having here, which is why it's such a fruitful discussion for the hundreds of people that are in here right now. Because if you do not have... 15, 20% of this stuff, all you're really doing is milking something that was built for you prior to you getting there as the operator. You're just squeezing more out instead of creating more. Mm-hmm. And that's very cute. And, and Wall Street will reward you and a CFO will give you a hat tip, but let there be no confusion. That is not gonna be something you're gonna be immensely intoxicated talking about when you're 69, 77, 83. You're not gonna tell your grandchildren, oh, in 2021, I found this thing we were overspending on and we saved $800,000 and it chipped a little bit to the bottom line and our EBITDA got better. There is no romance in that story. There's no emotion to it, right? You need to go back to- As a matter of fact, not only that, this is where it really gets me emotional. Not only is there no emotion to it, it often comes at the expense of a lack of humanity because it usually comes at the expense of human beings. And, and, and actually it's so, it's so true having 
experienced that with many brands. Is I think we are over-processing, over-qualifying, over-segmenting, over-engineering things to the point where we lose what we sometimes want to say, what we are, okay? By over-qualifying, you, you start to deviate and, and, and distort. Uh, you don't drive consistency. You might want to fill your 30-second ad, but you want to optimize the cost of your packaging to fill the size in the shelf or uh, just be on the web because you need to be on the web, just replicating what you do on your TV ad, well, whatever. I can go on and on and on. But, but fundamentally, what, what you want to say, what you are, we, we tend to forget it. And it's so powerful. And, but, and, the, and, the, and this goes back to that common sense intuition, right? Exactly. So it, it goes back to, to this fundamental is, is going back to the root. What, do, what are we, what do we want to say? And how do we bring it to life consciously? This is where you probably we need to be conscious. Mm-hmm. And to- but there's, a, there's an important point here that we have to have in the business context instead of the macro storytelling context. We have to remind ourselves, and I, I'm curious what Matt thinks about this because he feels it from a Hollywood standpoint. I'm talking more Madison Avenue madmen. Most decision makers on the creative that the business world does, I'm drinking a dunk. The person that the CMO, because I used to know him, Tony Weissman, is actually quite creative by nature when he was there. He's not there anymore. But most decision makers on a brand level are actually operators, not creatives. And they are actually making a subjective decision. No different to Matt's world when there's financiers, distributors, studios. The people who are making a subjective opinion of take that out or I don't like that are actually doing something incredibly vulnerable, which is they are using their own ego and lack of humility to make a subjective call coming from a place where they are not the EQ and creative engine. Sometimes people make this, I mean, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate with my emotional intelligence. I'm in meetings where I can taste it, that somebody's making a, making a point just to justify the reason that they're even in the room. I don't even believe they believe it. They're just doing it to make that a capital T instead of a lowercase t, as if it means anything. It, it stems from insecurity and defense. And um, and we, Matt, we, we uh, you know, I we this is something that we're we could talk about forever. I'm just going to share a couple of little points just so we I don't derail. Okay. So first, what I would say is. Um, one, one of, one of the, one of the techniques that I've seen has worked really well between with the relationship between creative people and the producers and the distributors and the marketers, because, you know, I could be making something as a creative person, but it needs to get out there. Now things have changed because, you know, with distribution, but when it comes to a company like Pixar, one of the things that we would always want to be doing, and I still do in my films, um, is the beginning of that idea. It has to be something you're passionate about. It has to be something that we will call it's director driven, that you're making this because this is a metaphor for your relationship with your, your dad or your grandmother or something that's happened to you. But one of the tricks that I've seen works really well is when you're asked for a creator to come up with an idea for a story, you don't ask them to just come up with one story that is really important to them. You ask them to come up with three 
Three stories that they are equally super passionate about that is director driven. And then you get the marketing people and the distribution people and the producers and the tech people in. And you take about 15 minutes to pitch each one of those ideas. And then you let those people decide which one do they think is going to be the one that's going to push the technology the most. Which one is going to be the best to distribute or market toys from? So then the creator is like, I'm not thinking about the money stuff. I am just thinking about these are three films that I really want to make. You guys let me know which one of those you feel will benefit you guys the most. And so then the creator gets to, to not worry about the money part. And when they pick one, you go, all right, let's make that one. And that's the same thing for the, the film I'm directing right now. I pitched three ideas and I let them pick the one they liked. And then it, it because creative people, I think we all know, most creative people know, we need, we do need the financial side. We need those other people who are going to distribute it and market it, especially if you're a creative person and you're not savvy about that. But you don't want it to ruin that the, the, um, the clear vision and that it's director driven. So that's one of those things that I've seen has worked on, you know, almost all the Pixar films that, that I've worked on um, when I was there. So. Thanks. And yeah. I wanted to, to, to bounce off of that and, and what you both talked about, because there's definitely subjectivity, right? In how people are picking one story or, or one thing. But I know you were talking also about, um, you know, finding the one theme, the one story that is true to your brand. How do you then take out some of that subjectivity? How do you consciously tell that story then through visual elements or visual cues? Well, yeah, no, I think it's a, a very interesting question because uh, I think when you get what you want to say and you're true to yourself and you relate to human motives, there are ways to bring it to life, okay? Um, and, and, and even when we think about packaging, design elements matter, okay? If you are using straight line in a packaging, you are probably talking about determination, okay? When you use zigzag or create zigzag or shapes like that, you, you might create defiance or associate that with defiance. Or if you use curves that are close to the human body, you're more in the sensual motives or, or caring, okay? Or if you lose colors, textures, shapes, all of that has, has a meaning for people because the brain has associated that with, with a human motive, okay? So how you connect that uh, in the right way is so critical. So there are a lot of great stories about brands doing that well, but a lot of them that are actually not. So let, let's, let's maybe think about a few of them that probably do that well. Uh, let, let, let's think about, for example, whiskey, Johnny Walker, for example. Johnny Walker, it's, it's what? It's, it's keep walking, the tagline, okay? But, but if you think about how they translate that into a packaging, is a straight lines, is a square bottle, which has nothing human, uh, I would say, or no, not related to human, something produced by or created by nature. It's, it's about tall or sharp edges. So it's about, I think, the motive, which is actually growing, okay? So that, that's very well connected. So, and if you think about that, if you are in a baby care environment uh, and you want to make people feel 
that you are so it's safe okay and when it is bringing the image of of safety you're more in the opposite it's about round shapes it's about transparency transparency that see the product that can help us to see through it's about uh a, a packaging which is not interacting with the product because it's it's protecting the, the content. So I, I think the whole point is is more how do you bring it to life consciously? Okay, if you are making mistakes here, the the brain will will deselect and and get lost. Okay, so that's that's so important to to think about it when you get what you want to say when you're connected to your motives. Uh, understand what 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 are the cues you're going to leverage uh, mean for for the brain uh, and actually work with a partner with that classified thousands of cues for their impact on on the brain and, and what it means in a low neural language so it's qu quite exciting to when you start to understand that and and the consequence of what you're doing or more proactively doing it because you have a true intent on, on what you want to bring to consumers and especially connected to emotions I you also know. think I also think that we have to act like the internet exists. And what I mean by that is after listening to the last two points, you know what, and obviously, Mariam Arnaud, you know this about us. I believe that a high volume of output around relevance, Toy Story meant something different to a lot of people. You know, this brand means a lot of different things to a lot of people. When you're in the business, what we're talking about now, you know, Matt, I, I saw your make pretend Listerine uh, you know, uh, I know Pixar was doing commercials right. before, right? You know, and and I worked on some of those commercials because I came in before Toy Story. But That's yeah, right. so you know, when you're in the business realm and with the internet today, I'm an incredible proponent of taking advantage of truth. I I think this goes to audacity and lack of humility. I think an artist or a decision maker has this incredible need to be right in a boardroom and then having it come out to the world. What's crazy is. I've always lived this kind of bizarro like life where my communication style comes with such a high level of intensity and conviction and passion, yet everything I actually do is grounded mainly in humility. I have, I have a lot of curiosity. I have a lot of intuition. I've had a lot of success, but I've had equal amounts of micro failures. I'm not always right. You don't always have it figured out. And what I love about the internet creative world is you're able to put out things into the world. This is not testing. This is not even focus groups. It does become a consumer insights tool, but you have an incredible opportunity to do things and then watch and listen. You know, uh, I'll just use it again as a framework, mainly because I'm recruiting Matt. You know, I created 268 characters for VFriends. I have a very simple macro ambition. I believe it was always my destiny to create intellectual property that was gonna be at the highest level to bring value to humanity around things I saw that others did it. I've always believed it. And here I am, look how I did it. I thought it was gonna be, and there's a million videos of this, I'm gonna buy Scooby-Doo or Smurfs and refragment it. Instead, I reacted to the reality of something called NFTs. I put out the project and now I'm able to see how people are reacting to these characters. So I don't have to necessarily be audacious and say, this is it. It's got to be Patient Panda. Well, wait a minute. Everyone's incredibly excited about a accountable ant. And I did that in a massive life's goal project. How people that run a soap or a sneaker 
or a t-shirt or a laundry detergent don't have the humility to put out a lot of content and then react mm. to the relevance and consideration and then level up. Oh, African-Americans on the coast like this and middle America who shops at Costco likes that and the kids like this. Oh, wait a minute, let's keep doing that because let's give people what they like because people who watch The Simpsons, back to Matt's career a little bit, what a, what a gamut, what a gamut of who gets value out of what, you know. But then more importantly, this is where it's remarkable. If you decide to then run a Super Bowl ad back to attention, which I think is the number one deal in marketing because everybody actually watches it, you can look at what over indexed for those three different groups and see a commonality and then make an at bat to take a video in 30 seconds and try to capture that essence. We, we need a lot more humility because the internet allows it. Mm. You know, two thoughts. One, <laughs> I just want to go back to that shape language and how it unconsciously makes you feel something. You are absolutely right. As somebody who is who has designed multiple characters, let's just go look at Monsters, Inc. You look at the shape language for the characters. Remember the round guy who's green with one eye? He's the comedy relief, right? He is the, he is the character that's the harmless character. Then you look at the Defender character, Mike Wazowski, the blue guy, big rectangle. And then all the characters that are the um, villains or antagonists are sharp characters, going back to the zigzags and shapes. You know, after you write the script, the next thing is how can I visually communicate in an unconscious way what these characters are about and, and how they'll make you feel? And then I also wanted to mention on a second note, absolutely, it is so, it's, it's, we're an amazing time that we can put something out on the internet, get people's reaction, and then either make more of what they like or totally surprise them. And I would say that, you know, I remember when I was working on Toy Story, we were laughing at, at that the Disney company was continuing to make those prince and princess movies that were the musical numbers and fairy tale villages. And they were making Aladdin two and three and Little Mermaid two. And we were like, oh gosh, nobody wanted to see those anymore. And so then all of a sudden we're making these Toy Story and Monsters Inc and Finding Nemo and people were loving it. But we also saw that people, um, people were gonna start asking for something different be before we were falling into a formula. And our formula was we were making all buddy films. We weren't making the classic Disney musicals, we were making buddy films. People still loved them, but I would say that there is a point for creators where you wanna keep taking risks. And yes, if you take risks, you could lose a lot. But when we put out The Incredibles, that was not a buddy film. And if you remember the Pixar films, everyone was loving them, but then Incredibles came out and that was like, what? Why? Like they didn't even need to do that, but they did it. And we did it because we didn't want to fall into a, our own formula. And I agree, it is good to continue to get what people like and, but, but, but don't forget to keep 
surprising people, even what they feel they don't want yet. And I think that's one of the things Steve Jobs was really good about putting things out before people even asked for it. It takes a lot of intuition to be able to know that. But I think it always goes back to like, what do you want to see? What are you passionate about? And so I just wanted to put out those, those, and, those two. And I, you know, again, just one more cherry on top. We just have so much more opportunity now if we put it into the context of business. Like when you hear what Matt says, it's crippling to think you've got to put an output for the masses with one attempt which is why there was a trillion dollar industry made for bullshit testing and focus groups and all this other stuff. It was, it's incredibly difficult. Then came along the internet and it's a mature internet now. I, you know, I had a, a debate with somebody last week. Oh, yesterday, excuse me, yesterday. It was, it was an epic debate because she's lovely and brilliant. But her point was, Gary, you don't get it. I need to sell to 63 year olds in Arkansas. And I said, no, you don't get it. You think social media is coastal and young. The amount of reach that I get, I, I do this for a living business, not can lion awards, not to be considered a, a creative genius. I do this for business. I love the game of business. There's nothing close to Facebook to reaching 50 to 70 year olds in the world. Nothing even close. There's no television remnant. You can buy the best deal of remnant spot buying TV commercials because what people don't understand is People make assumptions about potential reach versus actual consumption. People have bought into reports. They believe that a GRP is true. I know that 99% of marketers can't explain what a GRP is, <laughs> even though it is the religion. Um, so I know that if you start a meaningful Facebook group around some sort of interest right now, you will have a far more engaged opportunity to do things. So. I think we live in a world where we're struggling to, this conversation is so compelling because it's very thoughtful and right, at least from one man's point of view as I listen to my panelists. I think the part that gets me excited is we've talked a lot about this gray feeling and then I flip it and come into this very black and white practical part of like, okay, and now let's talk about the actual operization of this. And if you go there, you start going to places because what, what I learned was, oh, Holly, like Hollywood's award system and Can Lyons awards, Hollywood reporter and ad age all won in the same game of this is optics versus truth of reality. And what's, what Hollywood has is when they make a film and it does well at the box office, that's black and white truth at the consumer level. Mm. And so when, when Godfather wins best film and crushed the theater, there's a level in society where we accept. The issue for us on Madison Avenue and corporate world is we, we go and celebrate these commercials, but the businesses are declining. You know, it, it, if all the winners of the Academy Awards were films that nobody, and I mean nobody watched. Forget about like emotionally thoughtful Pete. Like, I mean, like flops. <laughs> it wouldn't land in our culture. And that's what's happening in advertising. The things that are winning are being judged almost in a Hollywood lens for artistic, <laughs> correct. Instead of its purpose, which is commercial success. Hollywood, you know, tends, the things that tend to get awarded 
for the most part, not always, of course, tend to have incredible correlation to actual consumer behavior. We don't have that in advertising land, which is why it's so not palpable for me. And, and what's even more upsetting is the people that have preyed on businesses, creating these reportings companies and other metrics companies that are just not true. Yeah. Thanks so much for, for this. Um, I want to be conscious of time because time flies. <laughs> uh, as a conclusion, maybe if, if you guys have, you know, one word, one piece of advice you want to give um, to the audience, you know, in 2021, how do you connect emotionally with consumers? I'm, I'm going to, I have to run, so I'll go first. And Matt, please check your DM. I need to speak to you and our note. Okay. Uh, <laughs> on Instagram. Uh, humility. Humility. One word. It, as it as that word rises, a lot of good will happen. As we end today's podcast, I want to give a huge shout out to the people. You know, it's so funny. People that leave reviews and written reviews of this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms just mean the world to me. You've taken an extra 13 to 95 seconds to show love and also give context to people of why this is a worthwhile podcast. So I appreciate that so much. And even more fun because uh, I think we all love a little cosign or a shout out or a little awareness. Uh, I'm gonna have the team give a couple of shout outs uh, daily on uh, our favorite reviews. So take it away, which were our favorites this week? Thanks Gary. Today's amazing five-star review reads, I'm a daydreamer from a small town, a constant wandering mind I could never control. Gary V gave me perspective. He helped me program my way of thinking to better myself and apply those teachings to my own life. Once a daydreamer, now pursuing a dream as a creator. I love the process of my story and it's all about the journey. I've been so pumped, I had to encourage others. I'm hopeful for the future and I will continue to do my best every day. Thank you, Gary V, and thank you, team. Thank you so much for that amazing review and those kind words. To anybody listening out there, if you leave us a review like this one, you might just get shouted out in the next episode.